valuing the patient as a referral source and doing everything you can to make sure they leave happy, even if you're not able to provide a successful outcome. I mean, we see in some of our practices, patients leaving reviews saying, you know, I wasn't successful, but I had a fantastic experience and I would rate this practice five stars. And the fact that, you know, I didn't get pregnant is not their fault. It's just they tried everything and I feel like I was treated with respect. Welcome to Inside Reproductive Health, the shop talk of the fertility field. Here you'll hear authentic and unscripted conversations about practice management, patient relations, and business development from the most forward-thinking experts in our field. Wall Street and Silicon Valley both want your patience, but there is a plan if you are willing to take action. Visit fertilitybridge.com to learn about the first piece of building a fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Now, here's the founder of Fertility Bridge and the host of Inside Reproductive Health, Griffin Jones. Today on Inside Reproductive Health, I'm joined by a good friend and another fertility marketer, Rob Taylor. Rob founded TD Media in 1995. TD Media helps fertility centers get results such as fertility centers such as Reproductive Partners in Southern California, Conceptions, Reproductive Associates in Colorado. They help design and implement patient acquisition systems such as fertility success rates and the IVF cost calculator. Most recently, TD Media launched a learning platform called Conference Brain, which is currently used to run continuing medical education meetings for Pacific Coast Reproductive Society, PCRS, and the World Professional Association of Transgender Health. Rob Taylor, welcome to the show where no matter what software we use, all of my guests sound like they're in a brand new recording studio and I sound like I'm in a prison bathtub. Well, better than the other way around. Thanks, Griff. It's good to be on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's my way of making the guests feel good. So I hope you're in for a therapy session. This is free therapy for me, talking to another fertility marketer. And I know that you said that you had a, a hard stop at one point, but my goal is to make this the longest episode that there's ever been. I would just call whatever your next engagement is and clear your calendar because we might be here for a few hours. <laughs> Daylight over here, but it sounds like we need whiskey or something. <laughs> well, it's such a small niche, so it's, it yeah. is nice to be able to to talk with people and who are are in this niche. We Fertility Bridge is only in the the fertility space. TD Media is, and then does some other things. What what all does TD Media do besides the things I listed in your bio? That's really it for us right now. You know, over the course of 20 plus years doing marketing. We've worked in a number of different industries. In Southern California, real estate was really big you know, for us maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, but we don't have any clients left in that space. So we've really focused online marketing entirely in the fertility space and then have branched out to software as a service. We've always been you know, design, build marketers where you know, we not only do design, but we own the servers and do the programming. You know, we've have a couple of entities that you mentioned, fertility success rates and IVF cost calculator that we've programmed and own and market as internal properties. And so with that skill set, we've always been looking at ways that we can kind of become our own client in some respects and build properties that we can license or some other way monetize internally. So 
Conference Brain is sort of the latest iteration of that, where we have a CME system, so continuing medical education. Most of the listeners will be familiar with these kind of meetings and realize that there's a lot of moving parts there. You know, there's abstract submission and exhibitor space and sponsorship and attendee registration and all of these various components that in some cases are managed by separate systems for each component, which creates some pretty big inefficiencies when you're trying to run a meeting. So by uniting it all under one platform, we kind of allow sort of a uh, economy there in terms of the amount of work it takes to actually run the meeting. So I see agencies create digital products or different arms or software as a service, and then sometimes that becomes the main core of the business. Do you see yourself doing more of this, stepping more into the conference space? You know, I think um, for our team, it's it's nice because we can use the same skill set that we use to serve our fertility clinics to develop these programs. So there's not really any conflict. There's not really any sort of need to invest in additional resources internally with respect to talent. Um, so honestly, for the you know time being, I, I see kind of running both in parallel. I mean, you know, we have a third party re, uh, donor matching system, donor DB that we've had for years and years and years, and that's never um, been something we've um, had to take away from serving, you know, the needs, the marketing needs of our, our centers for to do, to run. So it, it really is compatible in the sense that it doesn't, it's the same team running, you know, both things, building both things. What sort of challenges do you find that are unique to fertility centers? I imagine that at, probably at other points you worked with other kinds of businesses. I certainly did before Fertility Bridge. What do you think is unique to fertility centers? I think one thing in healthcare in particular, and especially when you talk about, you know, non-insurer based out of pocket, fairly expensive healthcare in this case, is the distinction between the medical staff and what I'd call the, you know, office staff and and how you can have top-notch doctors who are excellent at what they do and do deliver good results and still have a system that's less than ideal because of scheduling or because of, you know, personalities behind the desk or something like that. So, you know, with a lot of our other clients in other industries, take real estate, for example, you know, you're marketing the real estate professional and they have a team, but typically the interaction is all with the real estate agent, right? But it seems like with healthcare, there's definitely, you know, your whole team needs to be on point in order to deliver that kind of A plus experience and, and not be a liability, quite honestly, you know, I mean, everybody wants to go home with a baby, that's for sure. But, you know, the interaction and how they're treated while they're in process at your center, even even if they don't have a positive outcome, can still yield a favorable impression and actually lead to patients who didn't have success even referring their friends over and saying, hey, you know, they, they, didn't, they weren't able to help me, but it was sure a great experience there. And so I think that's a challenge from a marketing standpoint is, you know, you almost have to roll up your sleeves and get inside the business a little bit operationally and start suggesting changes. And, you know, it's, it blurs a little from, you know, it's just straight marketing to, you know, how do you actually actually, you know, have that positive outcome? How can you yield that patient referral, which, you know, we both know is, you know, one of the top referral sources for clinics is, you know, existing patients. So it totally blurs. So I look at, I've got our own org chart and we operate Fertility Bridge on EOS. Do you follow that? Do you know Wickman's system? Are you ever Mm-mm. familiar with EOS? So basically it's, it's that an organization is run by two people, the visionary 
who's responsible for key relationships with vendors and strategic partners, who's responsible for culture, who's responsible for future value, and then the integrator who's like the COO. We're in a, we're a small company right now, so I'm in both seats, but the goal is that Griffin gets to the visionary seat. And then it's based on that there are three core functions to any business. And in ours, you might split up operations into lab side and clinic side. But mm-hmm. really, even in the largest of organizations, the most complex, you don't split these categories up into more than seven functions. And there's three core functions, which is finance, finance and money coming in, money coming out, sales and marketing, how we get the people that give us the money, and operations, how we deliver it all and keep it all together. And I believe that if you're going to be world-class at any of these, you probably need to have a little bit of overlap into the other. So I can't really tell people how to manage their books or do all of their billing. I can, I can look at it a little bit operations. I can give a little bit more insight and still not a lot, but the, the extent to which I'm able to do those better, the more I can help with the sales and marketing function. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say in a clinic setting, you know, operations really can be subdivided between, you know, the medical providers and the, I don't know, what, what, what do you want to call them? The experience providers, you know, I mean, the people that greet you at the front office and the people that answer the phone and the people that, you know, answer your emails when you have questions, you know, if that's not the provider, if it's the nurse practitioner or whatever. So there's a distinction there. I think that, you know, the outcome is important, but the experience is is also important. And I think a lot of centers have really good protocols for the medical side of things, the outcome, but maybe not as stringent protocols or well thought out protocols for the experience side of things. And it could be to their benefit to sort of formulaically look at that and say, how do we measure out success, happiness, you know, of our patients and how do we work to improve it? Rob, that's impossible. Every fertility specialist that I've ever spoken with has the best clinic. They have the best success rates in the country. Well, that's fine. And that's their fine. Competitor sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 we can look at data. You know, like on fertilitysuccessrates.com, we can look at live birth rate per transfer and and sort of you know it's not the sole indicator. I want to be clear about that, but it is a good kind of touchstone of, you know, where the center's at. And obviously patient population is different, all of that. Um, but if you want to look at numbers, that's not an unreasonable number to look at, you know, for every transfer they do, how many, how many are healthy babies born and even better, how many are healthy singleton babies, right? But do we have that same kind of touch point or data or something? I mean, I guess we do like Yelp reviews, right? Like how, how many of your Yelp reviews talk about billing mistakes or talk about, um, you know, the rude personality or the long wait times, you know, every single time they come into the office. And, and how do you address those things? I th- I'd say operationally in the same way that you look at improving a, a protocol, medical protocol that's maybe not operating as, as well as it should. I don't, know. I, I don't think it's just fertility specialists do that. Many business owners do this, but I think it's one of the quickest ways to mediocrity which is to, to, to say that we're so great and everybody else stinks. And it's something that I hear a lot when I talk to prospective clients. And I just, well, first off, in most cases, the, the competitor doesn't stink. They probably have fairly comparable success rates, 
There's some that are really above others. There are certainly some that have better experiences, but most people are at least delivering some sort of baseline of a product, at least doing some parts of it well. And I just, you know, it's, it's I just refuse to do that with my own company. I, I, marketers are way worse than fertility specialists. <laughs> uh, you, you talk to a mark. Oh, every other marketer sucks somehow. Weird, yeah, we well. have the secret sauce somehow, <laughs> and I, I think that that's just I think that's just carte blanche to arrive at mediocrity. I will never say that there there are other competitors in in the market. You and I, tech, we can compete for some deals sure. sometimes. I, I never in a million years say Rob sucks, TD Media sucks. I say you know what, they're probably pretty good. There's other people who are probably pretty good. I am so obsessed with fine tuning this system and building my team to to make this. That's all I'm focused on. I don't think it's because other people stink. And then I have to actually look at, okay, well, what are we not that good at? And have a a real self-awareness. And I just don't, I don't think improvement can come without it. I agree with that. So with fertility centers, one of the the ways that I, I see that, that challenge manifesting itself is that I think there's a lot of folks that are pretty happy right now. And I had Gina Bartesi on the show from Kind Body a couple weeks ago. And I look at a brand like this and I think if you are anywhere in New York, how are you not pooping your pants? That there is this brand that is so clearly dialed in with the current demographic and has the funding and has the right people in place and has the acquisition strategy. And I think the reason why people aren't freaking out is because they're doing pretty good. Yeah, right now. What do you see with how people are are doing? I think even more in our field than others, there is probably a lack of urgency. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's obviously an unproven to this date. I mean, I don't know the numbers they're doing and how much they're able to monetize the this idea. It is a new, let's just say it, a new strategy to acquire patients and provide some level of care prior to turning them over to a fertility center. So, you know, I don't, to the degree that they're successful in gaining traction and making that the standard way, because I honestly still think, you know, referring physicians are always going to be, you know, that's your top tier strategy. I go out and visit the referring physicians and bring them gift baskets. And, you know, that doesn't go away. I don't think, I think people are, you know, most women already have a relationship with an OBGYN. And if there are fertility challenges, we'll probably initially consult with that person. And then at the point that they need to move forward to more advanced treatment, we'll rely on at least consider a referral from that source. So, you know, you'd have to disrupt that sort of acquisition chain way down at the OBGYN. YN level, I think, to make like a significant dent. But I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying, you know, I don't know that they're doing that yet. And honestly, I, I haven't looked at it to know the numbers or anything like that. But I'm I'm not um, as convinced that it has to be so far down the, the channel because we, we I mapped this out with my creative director and my account manager, and we we mapped out uh, like swim lanes, like how does somebody go yeah. all the way from being a someone that doesn't even know that they're trying to conceive all the way down to someone that 
goes to the clinic and it leaves with successful treatment? What are all of the different stops along that journey? Right. And there's a lot of them. And sure. there are so many points where people can get stuck at the OBGYN level. There are so many points where the doctor might not really investigate how long they've been trying for. That might not, it is very common. Uh, how long you've been trying? Three months, six months, even though they haven't been having sex with contraception for the last three years. They've been having sex yeah. without contraception, that is to say. Right. And, and, then the, and the doctor doesn't refer them. Or the doctor might attempt to, sometimes the OBGYNs will do OI or IUI without ever sure. testing the male partner. There are right. years wasted at the OBGYN. Oh, for level. sure, for sure, for sure. I just think that that's probably, and medically speaking anyway, traditional medical establishment, right? That's probably the first stop for a lot of people. And so by, you know, marketing to those folks, I think, you know, that's, like I said, probably a top tier strategy. At least it has been for our centers. When we look at where the patients come from, that's always, you know, the number one usually is from the... The physician referrals and that may change i we haven't seen i don't believe have seen like a drastic decrease i mean conbody isn't operating in our market yet so we'll see if that changes but so i tried to address the issue of patient attribution right off the bat because i think it's fundamentally broken what are you doing to to attribute where new patients are coming from yeah so we really focus on the digital online strategy, right? So, you know, we can definitely create a program for physician referrals. If it's a new practice, we can, you know, write up a how-to and, you know, do the whole, here's, you know, even farm the data and say, here's the schedule of who you're going to go talk to and all of that stuff. We're not boots on the ground in the market. So that requires, you know, a person at the practice to do that. But in terms of digital, um, and so, so the point of that being that we don't really, um, we rely on the centers to kind of feed that back to us. Anything that's not from an online source, whether it's physician referral or friend referral or anything like that. But when it comes to online, you know, we rely a lot on, on conversion analysis. So, you know, we set up our sites to really try to channel people through a form when possible. I think there's a lot of benefit to that. I think there's, you know, the, the, the centers that maybe just have an 800 number and and kind of hide the contact form or, or or don't have a dedicated consultation request form kind of miss out on some of the rich data that you can get from that. So, you know, it's like something anybody could go to any of our sites and look at. It's not a trade secret or anything, but we always have two forms, one for contact, one for consultation, and then potentially others if there's like a special type of market that we want to you know, LGBTQ, for instance, and we want to measure the response rate to those kind of promotions, then we would build a dedicated form for it. And we really want to encourage people to fill out the form as opposed to call. Calling, we can look at, you know, the length of the call and say, okay, well, if it's a, if we have a dedicated number for a new patient consult and the call lasts over 60 seconds, we're going to count that as a conversion. But, you know, we don't know the source necessarily, obviously, when they call, we could just attribute it to phone call. But with the rich data that you can get through analytics, we we have a really good idea of, for instance, how many people come over from Yelp and fill out a consultation request form. And then we can look at just broadly, you know, for every X number of consultation requests, how, what's your attrition rate? Like how many don't show up in the office? Like what's your fall off rate and how do we work to maybe improve that? And then from the ones that show up in the office, how many actually schedule treatment? And so we really, really look at like a three-step conversion process and we can kind of extrapolate 
from the averages, you know, for every 10 patients we get in the door, we're going to have X number of patients seek treatment. And then it lets us do things like assign a value to the acquisition from AdWords, for instance, so that we know, okay, if we're acquiring at X dollars, we're fairly confident that that's going to be a positive ROI on the back end based on our attrition numbers at the two other conversion points. So, you know, we really don't rely a lot on patient reported data because it's just erroneous. You know, somebody will say internet and they really meant Facebook, you know, <laughs> like internet is so broad. It shouldn't even be a, it shouldn't even be a, a, a source. If you're asking patients, where did you hear us from us? It should, you know, with Google, you know, as opposed to internet or Facebook or social media, you know, so specific questions are better than general categories, honestly. But, you know, with analytics, we look at that every month and we say, okay, here's how many conversions we got. Here's where they came from. You know, back in the good old day, I don't know if you remember when you could actually look at organic keywords and see, you know, from Google, how many conversions you got for specific keywords. Those, those were good days because you could kind of discover a little bit more about visitor intent based on keyword choice and, you know, augment some of your strategies that way. But those days are kind of gone now, but we can at least see the source. So we know, you know, from fertilitysuccessrates.com, for instance, you have an optimized profile and that gives you X number of, you know, new consults as opposed to contact, right? So there is some overlap where people will go in and schedule a consult through the contact form, which is not ideal, but we measure both and attribute a greater value to the consultation form fill. So we get good data from that is the point. And we don't have to rely on some kind of patient submitted data, although they do still ask the question on the intake form and feed that back to us so we can kind of get some reality check to the numbers that we're showing. How, How often is that accepted or do you sometimes hear, well, yeah, sure, this consultation form was attributed to this AdWords campaign, but they could have just been referred by their doctor and then they came and they just saw that ad when they were checking us out. And then they came from, they really came from the doctor, but they checked out that ad and then they came to the contact form that way, the scheduled consultation form. I mean, that's a fair question. We don't honestly get a lot of pushback because I think the feeling is, you know, getting them in the door is of paramount importance. And if it takes them, you know, clicking on an ad in conjunction with being a referral, you know, referred from their physician, then let's get that done, you know? So while there, there may be cohort kind of factors like that, I think at the end of the day, if we can attribute it to an ad, then the center doesn't have really an issue with counting it in that bucket. You know, we're not trying to, to do anything to dilute the numbers or to make us look more favorable, you honestly just report what we see. And if there's some discussion like, you know, about the validity of it, then you know, we'll engage on that as we need to. But it has never happened. I mean, generally speaking, we're pretty good at getting the numbers where they need to be. And everyone's generally pretty happy with the results that they're seeing. So us going back and reporting on where they're coming from is just sort of our due diligence to let the client know that we're looking at the numbers every month, you know, per our contract. And if we do see a dip, we're at, for most of the centers we work with over a year, we're really looking to, to make sure that the numbers stay where they are as opposed to, you know, and, and discover new, you know, there's always new sources of referral traffic, for instance. So it's enlightening to kind of look at that, but yeah, we don't get a lot. Well, of you, you talk about, you talk about self-reporting be erroneous, but it's all erroneous in my opinion in a vacuum because Google AdWords attributes differently 
then does if you set up the conversions for paid to look at the conversion sources paid search in Google Analytics that attributes differently or Facebook Ads Manager definitely attributes differently than does Google Analytics. Google Analytics being last last click attribution. Facebook saying they were served the ad and then they went through. Sure. They had 30 days to convert right. at that point and then f- Facebook counts that as a conversion. Yep. And we look at like I, we we look at last attribution primarily. I mean, we will look at the difference and see what the cohort factors were, but bottom line, the thing that led them to the site where they filled out the form, the most immediate thing to us is the most important. And not to the exclusion of the other things, but you know, if I see that when they click on the ad, they're more likely to convert than when they click on the Facebook post 20 days previously, then to me, it's more important to capture the prospective patient when they're in the mindset of taking action. So if they're clicking on Facebook ads and just sort of browsing centers and they're not quite so sure about, you know, where they want to seek treatment. You know, we want to be in that group of centers, but when it comes down to talking about if we needed to cut budget, would you want to cut budget from being in that first bucket or being in the bucket where, yeah, we know when they click on the ad, they're converting at, you know, a much higher rate. So we would want to, you know, optimize for that, which converts more frequently, I'd say. So I, I see the impetus to focus most on last click attribution, but that could really cause you to disproportionately invest in some parts of the funnel as opposed to others where a more combined approach could be effective. And I'm thinking of an example of you know, a business coach that I hired, for example. If he looked at the last click attribution, it would have been whatever email that he sent me, but I did not choose him because of that email. And to your point, it's like, well, that was the, that was the final straw that they made right. it happen. But it, but it isn't the reason why I chose him. If he had just sent me that email, I wouldn't, there, I, I wouldn't have, I would have done that. It may have gotten me to do it sooner. Your argument could be, well, if you didn't do it sooner, you may have just as well never done it. And, right. but, but I did it because I know somebody else he worked with. I did it because I've listened to his podcast. I did it because you know I'd done one of his free workshops, and and that. So, but that email would be what gets the attribution if we only look at last point attribution. Sure, sure. And and like I said, it's not to the exclusion of the other factors. Like I would never say you know don't do the free seminars because we're not getting anybody to sign up on the day of the seminar. You know, like anything that can get people in the door even if they're not making a treatment decision at that point is good. So, you know, we ha- you have to balance it. You're right. You're right. But when it comes down to reporting, it what comes down to where are we going to spend our money? We have to look at something. And to me, looking at the data point of, well, what is generating the, the consultation requests is the most logical place. The other things are, are more difficult. You can look at in analytics, you know, they have cohort analysis. You can see how frequently other platforms were involved prior to a conversion, but, If you're like, I don't know, I mean, most of our centers, the new patients who are the new visitors who have never been to the site before convert at a much higher rate than the people who are returning. So there, you know, I'm not saying it doesn't exist and it certainly, it certainly does. There is this reputation 
brand development component that people want, you know, some, some patients will want to know a lot and, or experience a lot of the brand prior to making a treatment decision. But then there's a whole lot of other people that are just ready to move forward and they want to find a center that they feel has the best chance of yielding a successful outcome. And that pro- decision process takes place, you know, over a couple of days, not really, you know, months. So, you know, we have to measure something and we don't, you know, have to sort of make the best choices we can given the data that's available. So, you know, same thing with success rates. You know, you certainly shouldn't make a sole decision based on the live birth rate of center. You should go meet with the doctors and experience the 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 staff to some degree and sort of just see if it feels like the right place as well, you know, has to satisfy the the heart and the head, so to speak. But at the end of the day, you know, if you want to look at data, that's not an unreasonable point to consider. So I kind of feel it's let's a, let's stay on this because I think we can solve this and get a huge parade at ASRM and our no way. For, for finally vanquishing this issue. <laughs> so so we we triangulate attribution because right. last click attribution is for the reasons I described it just does not encapsulate the, all of the ways the person makes the decision. It is extremely important for all the reasons that you talked about. So last click attribution, making making sure call rail is installed on the site so that we know where the phone calls are coming from. In addition to right. whether we're steering for contact forms or not, we still need to know where the phone calls are coming from. Right. So so that that last click attribution usually coming from Google Analytics and then checking it against AdWords and checking it against Facebook. But let's just call that digital last click attribution in in one column. And then we still do self-reporting because it's really important to have that against the last click click attribution. Normally when we start with people, they have like one question it's sometimes like in, it's in the EMR or it's in the it's in like the doctor's chart of how did you hear about us? And it's one singular open ended question. So, again, doesn't do all of the things that help us understand how the person came to the decision. So we ask all new patients usually like to have it outside of the EMR. So every new patient gets an intake and it's a it's a a survey of yes or no questions. Uh. Did you see us on social media? Yes or no. Were you referred by a doctor? Yes or no. Were you referred by a friend? Yes or no. Did you read our online reviews? Yes or no, et cetera. Yeah. I want to see the yes and the no, because Mm -hmm. when we look at the single source attribution and then we look at multi-source attribution, we see a different story. So what would mean to me means I've got more data, which is better data. Because if I only mm-hmm. look at the single source attribution, to your point, doctor is number one every time, doctor referral. Right. When I look at yes or no, were you referred by a doctor, that doctor referral drops to about 55, 60%. And it's almost mm-hmm. always under the online, which is 70%. So uh, that shows us then a different story. So it shows us, okay, People are still mostly coming. There's still a slight majority of people coming from doctors, but does it though? There, I'm not sure because I mean every center has a website. So if your question is yes, no, did you you know see us on Facebook? I mean, I, I, I guess you'd have to look at the question you're asking. If you're just asking, did you see us on Facebook? 
okay, yeah, I checked your Facebook page. I saw you had one. I saw you had X number of, of likes, but is that the thing that motivated me for treatment? Or is it the fact that my doctor who I already trust said, this is where you should go? You know, I mean, you do due diligence, of course, you look at these other attributes, but what's the real motivating factor? You know, I wonder if there's just another way to ask the question, like rank in order of one to 10, you know, what was the most important thing in making a treatment decision here and, and sort of get at it a different way as opposed to just, yeah, I saw your Facebook, but it's not really telling me how much that influenced my decision. You know what I mean? It's a good idea sure. though. I like it. And what's your well, compliance it, rate on that though? I mean, we have a hard uh, enough time getting to, people to <laughs> show up with the, the new patient form, you know? The compliance issue is not with the patient, it's with the center. So the best way to have a center adopt this is to give them an iPad or tablet and just say, here's yeah. the one survey that just goes on, give it to me and take, keep it separate from the forms. That's Got the it. best way. And then we just make sure that the the center is filling out everything that you and I are doing are, is really sort of like to do the best that we can without a totally comprehensive CRM that integrates with the yeah. e- EMR to we can see everything from from beginning to end. Right. So, so that is what, but it does also show us though, if, if what I'm seeing is okay, they haven't done any social media campaign in, you know, in pretty much in their history, or they only done a little bit, and then we start doing something, they start doing something, and I see five people seeing social media per month and then within a few months that goes up to 25 and then Mm -hmm. I'm triangulating that with last click attribution and then I'm also checking on volumes I have better decision making information sure yeah that's that sounds valid. So it's one of the things that, that we do, but I just, it, it, and we're starting to do a survey too with patients because we're drilling into this. Okay, if you were referred by a doctor, were you just referred to one? Mm-hmm. Were you referred to multiple doctors? Was that, if you were referred, was that, was it a strong recommendation or was it just an option? Were you not referred at all? And so we've got, we, we just have a couple dozen respondents at this point. So it's still a small sample size. And I want to get a statistician, help me get a really big sample size and, and ask better questions because I know yeah. that the REIs will rip apart <laughs> the statistical <laughs> way of asking questions that I am right now. But yeah. we're, we're seeing it. We're, see, we're clearly seeing a trend that most people, the majority of people are not getting one singular strong recommendation for an REI, sure. which means that there are tiebreakers in the, in the decision. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this also affects with like what you ultimately end up pursuing as, as marketing solutions, because if it's, if we're just talking about bottom of the funnel in this way, last click attribution, then why, you know, then, I mean, do you need to do any strategy at all or do you just go right into AdWords? (laughs) No, of course you do. I mean, like I said, there's cohort analysis that you look at and you, you can see even in analytics, you know, what percentage of visitors came from social media channel prior and didn't convert and then came back to the site and then converted, you know, that number from what we see is fairly small. So in terms of visitors to the website now, you know, I'm not saying that they couldn't see Facebook, not click on it, see an ad in Facebook for the center, not click on it, not go to the website ever, and then eventually land back on the website and convert, you know, from AdWords or something like that. So there's definitely that stuff wouldn't show up in analytics, obviously, because they had never clicked over in the first place, but they had been influenced by something that they saw on another channel. So your point of, you know, asking for 
data from the patients themselves, you know, provided that you, you can get compliance there from the centers and from the patients and they don't feel burdened by answering the questions, I think is, is a good idea. Do you want your IVF lab to be at capacity? Do you want one or more of your docs to be busier? Do you want to see more patients at your satellite office before you decide to close the doors on it? But private equity firms are buying up and opening large practice groups across the country and near you. Tech companies are reaching your patients first and selling your own patients back to you. And patients are coming in with more information from the internet and from social media than ever before, for good or for bad, and you need a plan. A fertility marketing system is not just buying some Google ads here or doing a couple of Facebook posts here. It's a diagnosis, a prognosis, and a proven treatment plan. Just getting price quotes for a website, for a video, or for SEO, that's like paying for ICSI or donor egg ad hoc without doing testing, without a protocol, and without any consideration of what else might be needed. The first step of building a fertility marketing system is the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's the cornerstone on what your entire strategy is built. You don't have to, but it is best to do that before you hire a new marketing person person before you put out an RFP or look for services before you get your house in order because by definition this is what gets your team in alignment. Fertility Bridge can help you with that. It is better to have a third party do this. We've done it for IVF centers from all over the world and we only serve businesses who serve the fertility field. It's such an easy way to try us out. It's such a measured way to get your practice leadership aligned and it's a proven process to begin your marketing system. Without it, practices spend marketing dollars aimlessly and they stress their teams and they even lose patience and market share. Amidst these changes that are happening across our field and across society, if you're serious about growing or even maintaining your practice, sign up for the goal in competitive diagnostic. It's at fertilitybridge.com or linked here in the show notes. There is no downside to doing this for your practice, only upside. Now back to inside reproductive health. I get the impression from conversations we've had in the past that you're less bullish on social media than I am based on conversions. One, is, is that right? Or two, is it still the case? And, and then if it is, is it, is it part of this distribution discussion? Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And, and so it depends is the answer to that, right? We have a center in Colorado where there's a, one doctor in particular that is just going gangbusters on, on Instagram right now and really developing her personal brand and posting frequently and really like growing her personal following. And like not every physician is going to do that, obviously. In that scenario, I think social media is amazing when you can actually get the doctors to use it and connect directly with prospective patients. That's gold. But, you know, the flip side of that, the, you know, the kind of stuff I see a lot of are just these sort of meme posts or just sort of just fluff, you know, the 99th person to report on Kadash whatever, you know, I mean, I just, it doesn't add value to the brand. It doesn't add any value to the, the patient. And so when it's used like that, I'm not a big fan of it. And then I just see that, you know, frequently, I think what we have kind of arrived at as a happy medium is to have physicians contribute content as they can, because I think it's not enough to just report maybe on the latest trend in fertility, but you really need sort of a, here's why it's important, or here's how we're integrating that in our practice, or some sort of tweak on it that's not just reporting it, something that personalizes it and gives it a spin unique to the center that it you know, is being attributed to. And so when we can do that, we find that that works very well and, and definitely a strategy that we incorporate. So I guess a lot of centers will come in the door. I'm sure you have this all the time and say, okay, will you write you know, content for us for 
for Facebook or, or Twitter, you know, can you like post on our behalf kind of thing. And, you know, it just, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're just being another me too voice out there, it's not enough to really move the needle in my opinion. So we typically don't suggest doing that. We can call and interview a physician and, you know, we obviously keep our ear to the ground as far as what's going on in the industry. And if we hear something interesting, we can sort of, you know, schedule a phone call, get, you know, a quick 10 minute read on why this is important, how it might affect the practice or the patient population in that area, and then write something on their behalf, submit it to them for approval and, and go from there. But I think without that kind of personalization, that it's, it's a little bit of a hollow, you know, n- not the most positive strategy to employ. So I'm, I'm not so glad <laughs> I'm against what you just described. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I think social media is without a doubt the most expansive of any of the buckets that we can mess around with, with sure. digital marketing. It can mean so many different things and affect so For many sure. different things in a way that, you know, Google AdWords, it's, it's, it's Google AdWords. You can optimize, you can, you can get it better. It can be super effective, but it's, it's paid search. Social media can mean anything. And so when somebody says to me, yeah, we're good on social media, I said, there's no such thing. There is all there. It is, it is a universe that expands forever. I totally agree with Gary Vaynerchuk when he says that social media is the slang term for the current state of the internet. And it really is the the slang term for anything that has to do with consumable content to the point where if we're just, if we're just posting stuff like, Hey, we're, we're doing social media ads where we're, we're posting. It's like, well, that could mean something or it could mean completely nothing. You described the content that's generic that gets recycled, that everybody's doing that somebody's probably paying a really cheap agency just to look on Google news for fertility that day and then post that link. Or it can be, the solution that turns your current patient base into a word of mouth referral network. And we have had to act, we have had to do a lot more things to get that activated for some clinics than others. For some clinics, it's just like they're a dry forest and that timber is like completely dry. As a Californian, you might not like this analogy. (laughs) You, you You drop a match there and it just goes on fire. There are other clinics where that's where I start to see more of the experiential things that maybe aren't connected, and it takes a lot more remedial help to get that going. But that can be the difference when up to date, what the issue, the biggest issue that we've had, one of the biggest issues that we've had is that most people don't talk about infertility, sometimes even their closest friends. And that was true all the way up until just a few years ago. And now we have the opportunity to where not only are they talking about it, but they're saying, I went to Smithtown Fertility Center. I saw Dr. Smith. Here's a picture of my child. Yeah. Here are all of the feelings that I felt about right. this before going to see Dr. Smith. This is how Dr. Smith made it better. And we love him and named our child's middle name <laughs> after him. And yeah. all of a sudden, I see that as this person's former coworker or a cousin. And that's a word of mouth referral that never would have existed. And the right cl- the clinics that are all in on this mm-hmm. can see double digit increases in new patients and procedures just from organic social. 
but it takes, you know, it, it takes an investment, like a, a willingness to share and a willingness to be human on, on part of the physicians. You know, it's not enough just to sort of post even testimonials, right? You can like make a graphic of a nice testimonial that you got and, and post it, but you're know, taking a picture with the happy parents that bring their newborn in at your center and posting that, you know, that's at least, you know, sharing something, sharing your image at the very least. Right. And I think that, you know, a lot of the older physicians, especially maybe are a little reticent to sort of break down that patient physician barrier and sort of share, you know, their life, some aspects of their life. You know, I mean, the physicians that do social media really well, I think are the ones that are, you know, posting, you know, just like you and I would in terms of sharing what their interests are, sharing, you know, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Also, obviously, you know, spreading, sharing knowledge about infertility and treatment options and those things, but not just making it an ad, not just making it a sales pitch, but really like being human, <laughs> you know, it should be called human media or whatever, right? Because it's not, um, and I think that's, that, that's a challenge and not every physician is going to be able to, to pull that off. But I think the ones that do have the ability to kind of connect with their patients or prospective patients, you know, even before they, they step foot in the office and sort of give a sense of who they are and what their dynamic is like and, and, and sort of build that trust even, which is, you know, kind of a far out thing to say, but, you know, people trust what they know. And the more that they can know about the person that they're considering for fertility treatment, I think the, the, the more likely they are, you know, barring some other unfavorable aspect um, to feel comfortable enough to make a treatment decision there. And there's always, there's a two-year window, right? In most cases, probably average of a two-year window where we could get somebody to make a decision. And there's just so many reasons not to. All of these different vehicles via social media are our abilities to address those different areas so that we can make that cycle shorter and consequently draw in more people and you you make a great point of that you know you just don't think that some fertility some physicians are going to be capable of doing that i agree and i think if they plan on being in business for more than just a few years more that they need to employ people in the practice that are, that can document and participate in some way. Because I look, when I first wrote about Instagram a couple years ago, I was talking about practices doing it and there were very few doctors doing it. And now there is a contingent of mostly younger female doctors, probably six to 10 of them that are killing it on Instagram. They are, these are, some of them are associates. Some of them are like not even 36 years old and they've got, they've got waiting lists already. They've built yep. up their own practice already. And if we were to pool, you know, a, a hundred thousand women ages, certain, you know, under a, a certain age that are active on Instagram and said, do you know, I'm not going to name them by name sure, or sure. I'm not going to name the other guys, name by name, but do you know these other established physicians who we would recognize as like the main right. speakers in our field? I'm betting you we're seeing way more of these newer physicians named as recognizable as opposed to who we know to be the established sort of leaders. Agreed. And, you know, the associate who's building up, you know, it's, it's influencer marketing and direct from the source, you know, it's, it's nice. It's not even influencer. I mean, you're your own influencer in that, 
respect. I mean, you're the one who's bringing up your own brand and saying, you know, I, I think the young associates that are doing that now have some, a little bit of extra cred when they go to, you know, negotiate partnerships or join another practice or something like that. They're, they're kind of building this, you know, following. So, and that goes with yeah. them. It, and it's not attributed to the practice, it's attributed to That's them. Right. So it walks with them. Now, you know, if you're changing geographic locations, you know, there's, there's some, some ramp up time in a new location, but you know, an Instagram profile with 1500 followers looks a lot more attractive than 50. So I think even, you know, if you were to move across country, that, that following that you built up in a specific geographic area is still probably transferable in terms of a benefit in a new geographic area. And that engagement, and it's it just really like it just pulls the curtain back, you know. I mean, there's just there's this, you know, and 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 I'm not saying there should there should be a distinction between the provider and the patient. I mean, they're obviously two separate roles, and I'm not saying that you know, you know it should be so familial that you're just like you know go out with them and hang out socially. That's not at all like I, I think that's probably not at all what I'm saying. But the the idea that you can kind of reveal a little bit. I mean, you know, the patient goes in and is revealing a whole lot about themselves in that initial consultation, pretty much laying it all out on the table, right? And so to not compensate for that, but sort of equalize that a little bit, I think establishes trust, makes people feel a little better about sharing and feels a little bit more reciprocal, perhaps. And I think that's, you know, a huge benefit in terms of the the heart decision. You know, you got the head decision, the heart decision, and you know, depending on your makeup, you're going to use one more than the other, or maybe you know, split them in between. But it's good to probably to cover both bases where you can. So conversely, I love that you talked about that brand equity being built by the individual physician in this case, transferable with the individual physician. Yeah. Conversely, if that brand equity is not built for the practice, then a prospective practice has less to offer a prospective physician that they'd like to hire. And I think it's one of the issues that we're seeing when we're talking to independent practices, especially single physician practices, they're having a real hard time finding the doctors to re either replace them or, you know, even the, the smaller three, four, five physician groups are sometimes having a pretty difficult time finding another doctor to join their group. And no small part of the reason is that there's, there's less of that brand equity. It's, I always use the analogy of you're selling a really expensive old house that still needs all of the capital improvements that you're probably not going to let them make while you're still living in the house. With them. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, so if we're a practice that is really active on social media and we have a pipeline, we have a word of mouth referral network, that's something that we have to offer new physicians as opposed to if we just say, okay, you're going to have to come in and you know make some, bring bagels to doctors and right. figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, I think it's harder to probably build up a following around a brand in this space as opposed to a person, but it's not impossible. I think because, I mean, depending on the practice, you know, the patient will have a primary care physician within that practice. They may be seen by other, you know, physicians, but I think the treatment decision, yeah, it seems like it comes down to a choice of the, individual physician a lot of times as opposed to the 
the brand of the center, you know, at least that's what we see in the testimonials. And there's, you know, there's definitely cases where the patient testimonials will say, you know, doctors X, Y, and Z were all fabulous. I saw them all, but they'll usually have one that they've, you know, at least in the initial consultation, they're meeting with one, right? And so that's the thing that drives the treatment decision typically is how that consultation went, how that initial, that feeling with that physician is so what you're describing is what i mean by some being needing a lot more work to build that because i think you're right it is easier for an individual physician to do the exceptions to that often are if you are a midwest small market practice you can build that stuff right out. The, I, the most powerful practice social media presences are small market midwest my hypothesis is that these are really family-oriented places, and it really sucks if you're in your late 20s to mid-30s, late 30s, and you don't have children, and your friends do, because there ain't nothing for you here. And so you find your community through these practices, social media communities. That's my hypothesis of why hmm. that is. But I've just noticed that you know, like, we just started working with one small Midwest practice, and I already know that it's like, man, we're going to light this up, because <laughs> it's just, I, that's my hypothesis of, of, of why that is. To, to, on the coastal side especially, it takes more to do that. You're right. People have more attachment to the to the individual providers. So there are ways of doing it. One of the ways is if everybody in North America or every fertility center in the world isn't doing a baby reunion, you're you're completely right, right. missing out. That, that's one I way. Agree with that. But yeah. but you know what? Man? There was one clinic that we worked with. You know who the rock star on social media? We'd have the providers on. They get maybe maybe a couple dozen likes on a good mm-hmm. day, and then we'd have this person, and they would just get hundreds of engagement. It was the phlebotomist. Huh. I don't know why. Just a good personality, or just I mean. Hmm. I'm shrugging my shoulders here for everybody who can't see my non-verbal goals, but like. Yeah, people loved her, and they would just get dozens of comments. So I don't know what it was about this person. I never actually met her in person, but and and she wasn't super extroverted person. But whatever she did made people love her, and by using her likeness on social media, that got people to talk about their practice and introduce their friends to. People in a way they never would. So it will take. It usually will take longer if you're if if you're not a small Midwest or maybe small South or Western practice. But if you put in the work, there are the just whatever it is. If it is the phlebotomist, keep using it because that's what you're. That's the equity that you're trying. When I think you make a good point in you know try a bunch of things and see what works. <laughs> you know, don't just think it has to be the physicians. It's an excellent point. You know, it's a pretty low cost thing to experiment with. Generally doesn't take a lot of resources to put together a post or record a video. And, you know, you should maybe go through and see, maybe you have a you know, rock star nurse, you know, that's there that everybody loves, you know, and just she has that great personality and warm and whatever, you know, and it's, that's an interesting idea. One thing that you and I think have in common is we just always want to give more value 
than we take. I think there are some marketers that well, probably yeah. don't care. They're, they're, I, think I see a lot of those people hawking online courses in my YouTube feed. You know, and they all require like, you know, a year contract or something. And I mean, not to speak about business practice, I'm not sure if you do that or not. But, you know, one thing we always do is we don't work on anything but a month to month agreement. And if we're not providing value every month, then we want to walk away from the relationship too, because we, you know, yeah. something's broken there. So that's one way that we just, you know, kind of stand by our work. And, you know, it, you know, it, it happens, you know, there's cases where somebody's nephew just graduated from college and got the ear of somebody in the practice and they think they can do a better job internally. And, you know, without any kind of evidence to support that and it gets the green light. And so there's a downside there, but you know, I figure why, you know, it, it just bought us another, say eight months of time, even, you know, do we really want to be in that relationship where maybe we're even, you know, helping to educate somebody who's going to eventually take over and do the work. So, you know, if they, we don't ever try to keep people as clients artificially, I guess, is the way that we try to operate there. Yeah, we're the same way. We never go right into a 12 month engagement. And the first thing we do is strategy. So if somebody wants to take that and have somebody else implement it, they can. In fact, it's probably what makes sense for especially a lot of the larger groups. That makes a lot of sense. I want, robust you know, marketing department. That's one thing I, I noticed in listening to your podcast. You you know have that little um, thing about just getting the strategy in place first, and that's so important. I can't tell you. I mean, we we're the same way. We we generally don't do strategy without the engagement of build out because I find there's a you know trouble handing it off to other people. Like you know because we actually design and build and do the strategy as well. So it's just generally more efficient to have us kind of do it all. But the idea that you're just, hey, we need a new website. Well, okay, let's step back from that first. And let's look at, you know, A, what's wrong with your current site? What's good with your competitors' sites? How's your social, you know, what's your social reputation like, you know, and and look at all of these things. Because, you know, if we're just going to pour more into a leaky bucket or, you know, whatever the analogy is there, you know, it's it's not going to yield the kind of results it can. So, you know, look at the conversion chain first, like what's percentage of visitors, what's your conversion rate? Like that's the, one of the first questions we'll always ask, like, do you have a consult request form? And, or if you have a contact form, you know, what percentage of your visitors fill that out? Contact is a little problematic because a lot of those patients are in treatment already. So you can't really distinguish based on the ones that aren't, but without those numbers, it's hard to, have a target to improve against. So I, you know, think it's an excellent point that, you know, every center should consider if they're looking to do a redesign, you know, it definitely, you have to do the analysis ahead of time. Do you make them give you Google analytics before you? We'd uh, before, before we agree to take the, I like, you know, if they're not comfortable giving me access to the whole site, I'll ask for like a six month. Let me see a six month window of, you know, what's the traffic like and what's hopefully, but honestly, most of them aren't even measuring conversion in analytics. Right. I mean, that, that's like, one of the things you can do, do that. In the yep. <laughs> like, okay, I mean, and that's, you know, honestly, like, you know, really good easy selling point is like, well, if you're not, then there's something broken with your system because how are you measuring the results of what you're doing? So yeah. give that one out for free, uh, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm glad that you talked about that with the, the strategy because I think very often it's, it's where people like to invest the least amount of time yeah. and it's, it's the most important. And so I just reverse engineered it a while ago. Yeah. I hang out with a lot of other digital agency owners. I, I don't get the impression that you do. Do you? 
Not really, no. So I'm talking to one other digital agency owner. He has a niche for credit unions. And we're at dinner, and I said, man, I just want all of my clients to be case studies. And he looked at me and he said, if you got even half of your clients to be case studies, you'd be world class. I said, well, I want to be world class, and I don't want to settle for half either. So if I wanted all of my clients to be case studies, what would I have to – what would need to be in place for that? And yeah. so I reverse engineered that. And so before I go into what we do, this ties into my question before, just I, I know that you want to return the investment for a client. If you've got yeah. everything that you needed from a client, if you, if you were to say, hey, you're going to be a case study, you're go- this is going to work, what do you need in order to set you up for success? So we definitely need the time to do the analysis. We need to look at the competitive environment. We need to do, you know, look at the traffic they're already getting. We need to look at the conversion chain. So all of that research before we even suggest what we're going to build, right? And then honestly, like we need, and we get this, it's, it's, we're fortunate, you know, with the clients that we work with, but we need buy-in. We need them to trust us that when we say, look, you don't really want to have three different colored fonts on this page and two of them underlined and three of them bold. And like, I mean, it's a, you know, design questions, you know, there's always the impetus to make this the most important thing. And then this, the most important thing. And then this, the most important thing. And you end up with three most important things. I mean, if you look at the upper right corner of a lot of websites out there in this industry, it's like, okay, you have your donor login, you have your pay button, you have your schedule consultation, you have your, you know, whatever language switcher, you know, all trying to compete for the same real estate. And that just detracts from the effectiveness of the design. So we really come in and say, look, if you're going to hire us to do this, then you need to, you know, we're not saying we're going to give you our suggestions and it, it would probably be a good idea to adhere to most of them, not to say we're not pliable. I mean, if there's, you know, other demands, then we'll try to factor those in, but you know, we come in and we say, look, we need to agree. What's the most important thing? Schedule consultation form fills. Okay, cool. Then we are going to work backwards from that and we're going to optimize the site to do that. And that means that upper right corner is not going to have a bunch of crap in it. It's going to have a schedule consultation button. In it. And that's what, you know, and no, we're not going to put the phone number up there because we don't want people to call. They'll find the phone number if they really want to call. We want them to fill out the form. And so, you know, getting that buy-in and that trust and that adherence to our suggestions, I think is really critical for us to be able to build a successful outcome for them. So it's sometimes uh, you yeah. said the two biggest things, which are <laughs> buy-in and time. Yeah. Right. Buy-in and time. And so we put that up front. That's the first thing I did when I restructured the way we do engagements. I looked at everything, every engagement that I've been successful in and the ones that we hadn't. And what is the difference before? Those were the two things that I had. Yeah. So those are the two things that I ask for up front. Yep. Buy-in and time. And if I don't get those up front, I won't even engage. Yep. And then we have and a clause that, you know, nobody, they, they can't hire a competing party to do like analysis of our work. And, you know, like it's always, we've had a couple of agencies that, you know, have had relatives or something that just want to kind of chime in on and give their opinion on things. And it just creates a competitive environment, you know, where we're having to sort of substantiate before we even do things, why we should do them. And we've been in the business long enough that, you know, we have a pretty good idea of what will work. And so just being, you know, getting the trust, it's really the trust, you know, if they don't, if they're sort of, if they want to carry around the, the legacy, the baggage of, you know, the three agencies that have failed them in the past into this new engagement, then that's, you know, there are cases where we just, 
aren't going to probably do that. You know, it's just unfair to us. And, you know, and I get it, you know, people have been burned and, and they don't want to get burned again. And so they're cautious the second or third time around, but we just hopefully can resolve that ahead of time by, you know, here, call this number, talk to this doctor, ask them when it's like to work with us, ask them what, how their business was. And then, you know, just getting that kind of, you know, on board attitude where we're all working in the same direction, I think is important. I, I can't stress that enough like, because if you don't have that, then mm. every single thing that you try to do, if yep. it doesn't get sabotaged, it's vulnerable to sabotage. Exactly. Yeah. Every single thing, like adding something to Google Tag Manager or at just a, a single page navigation change or right. adding a particular page or optimizing yep. a page or optimizing an ad set or using a certain creative or running a campaign. Yep. Any single thing is liable to extra scrutiny that slows the the progress down to the point of ineffectiveness. Yeah. And I mean, I want to be clear, like every center we work with has a marketing manager on staff, you know, has somebody that if not every, but the bigger centers, you know, have, and we work really well with that person. I tell them, look, my job is to make you look great. Like, you know, I want to make your job easier. So, you know, I try to establish that relationship and make sure it's not competitive, you know, right from the get go. Like if they have half a foot in digital or they used to do digital and now they just kind of want to outsource it, but they still want to kind of have an opinion about it. Those are probably not great relationships. The ones that have worked really well for the, us are, are the ones that are, you know, they definitely have a firm grasp of the brand and the strengths of the brand and, you know, kind of have a picture of how they're unique in their marketplace and can kind of get us up to speed in a really quick way in terms of what the differentiating factors are, what are some of the weaknesses of the competitors. Obviously, we do our analysis as well, but they're kind of really, you know, vested in that, the story of the of the company, but they don't do digital. You know, they, they just rely on us to just execute or, you know, and then they're also open to, you know, interpretation or augmentation of that story based on our research. So, and as we are to them as well. So I don't want to give the impression that it's like, we've got to have complete control and we know everything. Definitely. It really helps to have somebody on the inside who's in a marketing function that you work cooperatively with, I think. I, that is such an important relationship that you talked about and wanting the marketing manager to succeed, wanting them to be look successful, to not have it be competitive. I noticed that it's often the most competitive. It's like it has the potential to be the most competitive during the sales process. And I, tr I try the ones to that know most about what you're doing. <laughs> They're the ones generally who are going to be, you know, having a big voice in terms of whether you get hired or not, because it's their domain. Right. I still try, but, I I still want the people that are the the ultimate stakeholders in the room making that decision and part and the reason is not because I don't trust the the marketing manager because I don't think they're doing a good job it's because if we're talking about doing something that's really transformative if we're talking yeah. about something that's like real significant we need to be yeah. able to wax philosophical and have a conversation at a higher level than just the, just like, Hey, how much does a website cost? Or right. what would you do for Facebook ads? We need to have that. And I can't ask a marketing manager to expend that capital on his or her own upfront. I would rather put my neck on the line, sure. have that conversation directly with the stakeholders 
And so that because because if the marketing manager has to do that in the beginning, then three months, six months in the engagement, if something seems weird or something slow or, or not the expectations on one side or the other, then yeah. it's the marketing manager that has to put all of their political capital and like right. that's their job. That's and they they have other things going on, and so, and I don't want them to have to do that for the agency. Sure, sure, sure. So I I set that up in the beginning. Like, listen, I I want to talk to you, but I need to be able to talk to the person who's ultimately the people that are ultimately holding the stakes in this as well, because I need to get their buy-in between. For sure. I need to I need to get them to buy in and not have you get them to buy in because right. otherwise there will be too much pressure on you later on. Yeah, I mean, definitely in the acquisition phase of new business, it's essential to talk to the people that are actually fun. Maybe not writing the checks, but funding the checks, right? But then I we found anyway on an ongoing basis, generally those stakeholders become less available. They're busy seeing sure. patients. That's not what they do. So our primary point of contact in terms of getting a pulse of like, how is the practice feeling? Like what's it looking like? That is generally coming through the, the marketing manager in terms of them saying, you know, Hey, we have this initiative or, you know, we're, we're seeing a little decline or we really want to, you know, ramp up this patient population or whatever it is, or we want to respond to this thing that, our competitors are doing that's generally you know directed through the the marketing manager so like you said that relationship is is really critical in the initial acquisition phase but then also you know on an ongoing basis like yeah Send well that's that's the back. idea i don't i don't <laughs> want the doctors super involved for a number of reasons right. but i need them at the beginning to for yeah. all of us to agree for all of yeah. the people who are here, all of us to agree, we want gross prop, we want to get gross profit to A. We want to get number of same sex patient cases to B. We want to get our egg froze egg freezing program to C. We want to get our egg freezing program to D. We all need to agree on that at the top level, not something that's been dictated to the marketing. At the top level, we all need to to like say this is what like we're in it. We're in it to do this. We're gonna get you there no matter what. So then we can go off with the marketing manager. And so then when you know, we run a, a certain campaign later, the marketing manager is able to approve it, is able to to like to, to get it done in a way that isn't so scrutinized because they know it's in service to this master goal that we all agreed was the most important. Yep, yep. Agreed. Yep. Absolutely. Is there anything in the in the sales process that like really gets to you? You've been doing this a long time and I think you're a more you're, you're a pretty cool-headed guy. You probably don't take too many things personally. At least I don't get the impression no. you do. But is there anything like in the engagement or the the sales process that really bothers you? Not really. I mean, I don't. I'd never take it personally. Like if we don't win business, then you know they made a choice for whatever reason. You know, I mean, but then you know if when they come back to us in six or eight months and say, hey, you know. We signed this contract for another year, but we're not getting the resp- results that we wanted. And you know, could you help us out on this other project? You know, we generally probably wouldn't take that kind of a, you know, an engagement. <laughs> so, but it doesn't bother me. I don't think you know it's business. You know, some people are fixated on the cost of things as opposed to the anticipated return on that cost. And you know, I can't really fix that. All I can do is educate them and say, yeah, you know, you this is what we do. Here's where we've done it before. And we don't take engagements that where we don't think we can do something similar. It's like, I won't take something unless like if somebody comes to me with like a 
great website, like conversion flow is perfect. The reputation is perfect. And they say, Hey, you know, not that that ever happens, but you know, just theoretically, um, you know, we, you know, we want to double our patient population. <laughs> I would probably have a real like hard time just saying, yeah, we can do that. You know, I would, work on managing their expectations and looking at what I really thought was possible and then, you know, giving them a more realistic uh, expectations. And if they, that's not what they want to hear, then, you know, that's the way it is. So, but none of it bothers me, I guess, is the point, you know, it's just maybe people ghosting. Like if you take the time to write a proposal and then, and then they, you, they just don't even reply to like status update or anything like that. You know, I've had that happen a couple of times. I think that's just rude, but you know, still doesn't probably keep me up at night. There's only one thing in the sales process that I've identified that offends me because I don't take losing business personally. In fact, no. when people say that there were, that, that our pro- because our process is really clear and it's really firm, I don't bend on it. Yeah. And so one person just said recently, hey, we really respect your process. We get it. We just don't feel like doing that. And I said, not a problem at all. <laughs> That's what I'm screaming for. That's yeah, yeah, what yeah. I'm screaming no, for. No, exactly. They're, like, just, they're just looking for like, oh, can somebody do other stuff? Yeah. The answer to that is always yes. There's always somebody that can do of other course. stuff. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. we're talking about like, what is it really that here's the information I need yeah. to me, here's the time commitment and the, but here's the ground rules for the discussion. Yeah. It doesn't sound like that bothers you. It's just a, it's a stop. Oh, no, 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 no not that part. So, oh, so which, that part doesn't, that part okay. doesn't bother me. If somebody, so actually I, I like that, like the, yeah, yeah. that person and gotcha. I will have a relationship. Sure. I had a lot of relationships that start that way. Yeah. And, and then they, we come back and do business together. That does, if anybody tells me like we went with these guys cause they were really cheap and they didn't want to do the strategy stuff. They just wanted to do the what that doesn't offend me. It's like, okay, I yeah. see where your head's at. I don't, it's not something I would recommend, but I see where your head's at. Sure. And, and I get it. The only thing that offends me is when people ask me to sell them something that I, from the beginning am so transparent that I don't, do or sell. Okay. So it like there was a, a recent conversation and maybe it's an amalgam because I've had a few of these, but uh, I I'd said to the folks, listen, we don't engage with people right off the bat. We don't, we don't go into 12 month engagements with people off yeah. the bat and do long-term engagements. And the first thing we do is this little goal diagnostic. Here's all yep. of the details for it. Then we do the strategy and then we do a project. And then if you want after that, then we can engage. And that, like that, that's this, the only decision that you have to make right now is do you want to spend $600 in two hours? That's, mm-hmm. it. that's the only decision that you have to make. And if, if my ebook, if my, all my podcasts, all my speaking, all my blogging isn't yeah. enough for you to say yes to six hundred dollars in two hours, then that's fine. Like, right. but but that's all that I'm. Tr- I am not trying to sell you a long term engagement right now because hmm. I don't know if that's going to be good for us. I don't know if I can really help you. And yeah. she just it, the, this person just wanted to take it to to that route. Well, I can't, you know, until we, like we we want a, a long term engagement. And we want, you know, what, what that would be like. And we, we need to see huh. all of A, B, and C. I said, that's not the way our process works. And I've only said it a hundred times. And it's on my website. Right, 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 right. Form yeah, and yeah, a yeah. video. Like, I'm just so transparent about, right. I am not trying to sell you a bridge in Brooklyn. If you want to double your IVF cycles, we're going to really strategize of what the hell that's going to take. And I'm yeah. not going to just say like, 
here's what it's going to be right off the bat. And so the only engagement that I want to do with every fertility center is that, is that like initial consultation that we have. And then we'll, we'll see from there, but sometimes people just want to go right into it. And they, they want me to, it's like, they want me to sell them. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I feel like we do a little bit of that goal diagnostic work just as part of the sales process as opposed to like splitting it up into a separate billable item. Like we kind of just have that conversation as a way of screening whether or not we would work with them. But it's an interesting idea to have a well, you know why little engagement. That, yeah. You know, yeah. I did. Why? Right? Why? It, was, no. it was my, it was my, it was our sales process. You got tired of doing of it, it for free. <laughs> um, partly. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it, it takes I up a lot that. of time and it's really yeah. valuable. Yeah. And the other yeah. half is like, is just, I, I want them to be bought in. Like yeah. it, I, I tell people, if you want them, if you want your $600 back, like after the end of the engagement, then you're right, right. It's not about the money. It's just about them having a, an actual business relationship with you as opposed to just, yep, that makes sense. I told you this is therapy. (laughs) Yeah, no, I got it, man. (laughs) If you read, like, I think people listening to this will get so much, like think about the nuance that we explored about this tiny little niche, which is fertility marketing and yours and I different perspectives coming together and seeing like, Oh no, this is what I'm seeing. And this is what you're seeing. I think this is so valuable to do with any expert that you hire, any strategic partners. Like I would love to go to a room full of accountants and hear them complain about their clients. I don't know. (laughs) So, so that I can really understand. Okay. Okay. If I were am able to engage with them in this way, mm-hmm. I can how to be a better client to your accountant. Better result. Yeah, 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 yeah. And no, that's a good point. Uh, and I do let I do try to do that for my accountant, sure. and I do try to do that for Absolutely. other people because I look at the people that I that I'm anybody that I'm paying. Yeah, is is effectively a team member of mine. Sure. And it, it, there's a way to treat your employees if you yep. want to get the best result from them, and I think a lot of that can actually be applied to the, the other people that, that you might otherwise call experts or strategic partners or vendors in that order. Remove friction from their work process, you know, wherever you can make their job, don't do their job for them, obviously, but where you can make it easier for people to do what they're good at, get out of the way, make it happen. Especially when there are people like you and I that are not selling Bridges in Brooklyn. I know Rob right. Taylor is not selling oceanfront <laughs> property in Iowa. Let the guy do his job. Like, right. Help help him help you. And uh, because I, I cannot sleep if if a client even perceives that we're not getting yeah. value. I think about it when I'm at dinner. I think yeah. about it when I'm in the shower. I think about it at the gym. It right. dogs me. And yeah. so. Uh, it's like, I, and I want that to be unequivocal. And that's why I think I get, I take it a little more personally if, if I'm treated as a vendor in that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Makes sense. Rob Taylor, we have had an amazing conversation in my opinion. I hope, <laughs> I hope somebody else <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what the comments are like. <laughs> a lot of it. That, I mean, this is what Rob's and I cocktails after, after everybody after everybody goes to the nest. <laughs> right, right, out. right. This is what Rob and I are doing. Rob, <laughs> Minus how, the how cigars you... and whiskey. <laughs> how, which, which I thought, if it wasn't so early in the day. It is a little early, yeah. 
Rob, how would you want to conclude about your thoughts for patient acquisition, for business development, for marketing, for our field? What's the the notion that you'd want to conclude with our audience? Um, I think just encouraging practices to look at the whole patient experience, not just what happens with them in when they're seeing the patient one-on-one, but you know, what's their wait time like? What's the billing? How? What's their you know billing mistake ratio? Um, because it's just so hard as a marketer when you have a practice that is producing good results, you know, good success rates, but then they have all of these other kind of negative factors that pulls their reputation down. It's, you know, it's really easy to say this is a great center by success rates. You probably will get pregnant there and then have to fight against the, yeah, but I wait an hour every time or yeah, but you know, the billing mistakes or, but you know, and all of these things that honestly, it seems like the medicine is the hard part and that other stuff should be fairly easy easy compared to the level of, you know, science and, and medicine that's being provided. So, but for whatever reason, I, you know, it, it sometimes doesn't get as much attention. So I think, you know, valuing the patient as a referral source and doing everything you can to make sure they leave happy, even if you're not able to provide a successful outcome. I mean, we see in some of our practices, patients leaving reviews saying, you know, I wasn't successful, but I had a fantastic experience and I would rate this practice five stars. And the fact that, you know, I didn't get pregnant is not their fault. It's just, they tried everything and I feel like I was treated with respect and, you know, and so, yeah, you can make a win out of even an an unsuccessful outcome, I think, in terms of your reputation. So Rob Taylor, owner of TD Media. Thank you so much for coming on Inside Reproductive Health. It's been a long time overdue. Thanks, Griff. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Inside Reproductive Health Podcast with Griffin Jones. If you're ready to take action to make sure that your practice thrives beyond the revolutionary changes that are happening in our field and in society, visit fertilitybridge.com to begin the first piece of the fertility marketing system, the goal and competitive diagnostic. Thank you for listening to Inside Reproductive Health.